Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the secret backstory behind every book. Joining me today is Karen S. Lee, and she's here to talk about her wonderful book, Blue Scorpion, Last Flight of the Ancients. Karen, welcome. Thank you. I've already... I've already told you that I hold fiction writers in such high esteem, and I'm always curious about how a writer becomes a writer. There are so many stories. People will start reading as a child, and something catches their attention, and they think they'll write, or a teacher or a professor will make an assignment when they're in school. And whatever the person turns in, all of a sudden, the teacher or the professor can see a spark. And so they encourage that. Sometimes people write because there's a seminal event, either positive or negative, that happens in their lives. And they feel like they need to share that event with the world. So what's the story behind Karen Lee? How did you decide to begin writing? How old were you and how did it all happen? That's a really good question. I think I started quite early um, in just wanting to write things down. It's always, I, I suppose, it's innate that, you know, some people think when they're thinking out loud. They speak when they're thinking. Um, I think on paper, and I think that's just the, the mode that I've sort of defaulted to. Um, as an only child in the house, um, when we go out to dinners or whatever, um, my parents always give me um, just to keep me occupied and not running around the restaurant and causing havoc, um, a, uh, a bunch of paper and a, and a pen. And I would usually either draw or write or write poems or um, do some creative things to keep myself occupied. And I usually would, um, you know, while all the other children on the table would be you know, fighting over food or whatever, I'd just be entertaining myself. So I guess that's sort of what I've fallen into. Um, I guess growing up, um, I found that if I didn't write down what I thought, I wouldn't sleep. Um, And I think that just became a a mode um, that I've operated in since then. Um, There's a lot of influence, I think, from um, C.S. Lewis, I believe, um, who was um, the one of the um, the I guess the author influences in my life along with the uh, within with Tolkien um, in bringing the value of um, the fiction um, value of story um, you know into culture into life into learning um, and into part of a conversation. Oh, I love that. Influential story. (laughs) We have to bond for a moment. I'm an only child, too. So I get it. Wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I'm an only child, too. And it's very interesting. That's not something that someone with brothers and sisters can ever understand the dynamic and vice versa. I can never understand what it's like for someone to have brothers and sisters. So it's very interesting because I, too, had that imagination and your imagination is busy all the time. There are all kinds of things in your head. I like what you said 
about your influences of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, because I think mm-hmm. they are strong influences for many people who write fantasy fiction. Yes. And do, yes. is it fair for me to characterize Blue Scorpion as fantasy fiction? It is. Um, it's fantasy fiction. It is um, sort of semi, uh, you know, depending on your worldview, you might also class it as a bit of a historical uh, fiction as well. Okay, I like that. Let's yep. give our listeners an overview of Blue Scorpion. Now, you have a very strong female central character, and I want to point out one yes. thing. At the very beginning of the book, yes. you have a poem. You wrote that poem, yes. didn't you? Yes, I did. That's right. The story about that poem um, is a very interesting one. I used to, um, you can probably tell from my accent um, that I'm Australian. Um, <laughs> and, yes. Um, but my, uh, my ethnic background is actually Chinese. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong. Um, and when you study in Hong Kong, usually you have coaching when you're not at school. Um, and I had um, Chinese coaching um, because I had my early education actually in Australia, went back to Hong Kong, discovered I um, I couldn't quite keep up with the, the Chinese language um, and the pace at which they were teaching Chinese uh, at that time. So I actually had coaching um, in Chinese to help me catch up. Um, now, one, I, I was um, one of those students that um, rather than rebel or do anything naughty, I would usually try and, um, shall we say, take my tutor down a conservation path to avoid, um, <laughs> to, to try and procrastinate the lesson. Um, <laughs> uh, model student, really. Um, and, um, and, Somehow or other, we got to this conversation where she was telling me Chinese folk uh, ghost stories. Um, and this was actually one of the stories that she told. And it was a, a story that really, really stuck in my head. And it was about this um, woman. It, it was The original story was actually about a woman, a, a poor woman in a village um, who was with child at the time and she passed from a you know from a, a, an illness and um, because she didn't have medicine and she didn't have money to access medicine um in a you know rural farming village in the backwaters of china and so um upon her um her death um the villagers didn't know that she had passed because she was you know living by herself um, rural village, nobody knew anything. They were just all busy about their work. And the local shopkeeper started noticing that this sort of strange woman would come to his shop at night um, and uh, would purchase flour or, you know, powder or like something to, to um, mix, you know, with um, water to, to feed a, a child. Um, and then um, they would, this, this woman would pay money um, and then leave and would say pretty much nothing during the entire encounter. And he thought it strange, but then, you know, in the mornings he would open up his cabinets or open up his drawers um, to count the money and then 
invariably the the money would always be short the amount of money that the woman paid and there would always be a lot of dust in that drawer. Uh, and that sort of piqued his curiosity and a whole bunch of superstition as well, you know. Um, and so he went to the village elder, called a council together and said, hey, this is happening. Um, advice. Um, and so the elder actually said, well, why don't you, when you give this woman the powder, the pouch of powder um, tonight, prick a hole in it so that we can follow the trail so that the, the powder would leave a trail to where this woman is. And then maybe we can, you know, get her to, you know, sit down for a conversation and, and try and find out what's going on. So they did that. Um, and the following morning, they followed the trail of powder to this woman's sort of shallow grave um, to find that, you know, in the grave was a healthy baby and a rotting corpse. Wow. And that was a very, very powerful story. And remember, this was me in primary school. This, this thing stuck with me for heaven knows how long. Um, the other reason why it resonated with me is because I'm adopted. Um, and um, this all, you know, the whole notion of, um, I guess, finding my biological roots has always been something that's been very interesting to me. Um, and so, yes, that's something that really resonated um, very, very strongly with me. And that's a theme, I think, um, through the entire book um, is actually one of identity and um, of mission. I love the poem. It's it's written in almost the heroic uh, kind of poetry. It rhymes, but it flows, which I think is um, not always something that poetry does. And I think when someone has that skill and that ability, I've told you, I think you're a wonderful writer because of that creative well, imagination. And your poem really flows, and it gives the reader sort of the preview of what the first chapter begins. Now, tell me about the cover, because the cover is very interesting as well. The cover, I actually designed myself. Really? Um, yes. I, As I said, I, I like to, you know, doodle on paper. Um, and I had this concept of, um, I always like the imagery of a sword on a cover. And it had to be, you know, something that was reflective of something in the in the story, obviously. Um, and so I sort of sketched out this um, thing in with an outline pen in, in black and white. Um, and I gave it to my friend C, um, who is a graphic designer by trade. Um, and I said to her, "Listen, you know, uh, at, uh, I commissioned it, um, so." And that's something that, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, can you charge me for, you know, your services? I don't want, you know, that to be, you know, something you do for a friend and, you know, that that, that you never, you know, actually benefit from. So, you know, obviously um, I, I I paid for the service, um, but I said to her, um, can you, this is the design I want. I scanned it in, sent it to her, I said, this is the design I want. Can you put 
you know, colour to it and, you know, give me a, a rendering of it. So I had I sort of gave her very specific instructions about what stone is what colour, um, what, you know, uh, what I need to have in the um, sort of in the picture and in the frame and how it should wrap around the um, wrap around the whole back and, and all that sort of ideas. And then halfway through the process, hmm, I don't have a map. I'll just whack a map in the middle of the <laughs> in the middle of the guitar, and it works. It works. Um, what can I say? Um, and so um, she just you know did it all up for me. Um, we had a bit of a miscommunication though halfway through. Um, and she thought that I meant that she was going to do a painting for me. So I actually have a painting um, of the cover art behind me where I'm sitting in my study. Um, and she actually did the painting as well as the, the um, electronic um, version of the, of the, uh, of the uh, cover. Oh, how fabulous. <laughs> what a wonderful <laughs> happenstance. Yeah, absolutely. It was just, um, uh, no, I, I, I love the cover. Yeah. Now you it has a very special significance. And you, if you're you know, reading, reading further in the book, you'll, you'll figure out what, which one it is. This book didn't write itself quickly. This book took a while to be given birth to, as it were. Yeah. You've given us the backstory yeah. behind the book. How long yeah. did it take you to write? Well, the from the inception of the idea to the final finished product, I would say 15 years. Um, I had a version of the story in my head, and, I, and already I was doing writing sort of projects here and there, and um, you know different heroines, different stories. Always a, a strong female character for some strange reason. I'm not sure why. Um, I can't give you a psychological analysis of why that sort of landed, but that's that's where I find the voice, I suppose, um, to my characters. And um, and this this particular theme just kept coming up, and so um, it was um, one of my early scripts when I was in high school that I sort of you know kept coming back to modifying, 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 modifying. Um, and so, yeah, it took about 15 years to um, to put together um, to the point where it was a, a finished product that I was happy with and happy enough to actually go to a publisher um, to publish with. And that was back in the original publication was actually back in 2012 um, with a company called BookPal Australia. In 2014, they went into administration um, and uh, obviously the reprinting and all that um, sort of went with it, unfortunately. Um, and so in 20, it took me a little while to actually be bothered to try and republish the book again. And it took some encouragement from some friends um, to re-enter the world of publishing again. So in 2019, I decided to... Um, go with Ex Libris and um, to revise the script, take out some of the mistakes or um, errors and things that I missed the first time around and, um, and put it out to market again. 
Well, let's give the listeners, and this is not easy to do, but let's give them an overview of the book. We've given them the background, so let, now let's take that background and let's overlay yep. it on what you did creatively. Okay. Um, I'll try to do that. So uh, what the, I guess what the book is about without giving out, you know, without giving away too, too much um, is following on from the poem that we mentioned earlier. Um, I suppose really is a, about the, that baby grows up um, and is finding her way in the world. Um, the way that um, she was brought up um, is very much um, sort of, you know, she's in with the boys, she's learning all their uh, their crafts, um, learn to fight, learn to, you know, um, and learn, uh, I guess, blacksmithing, bladesmithing, actually, to um, be specific. Um, so she learned all the arts of making weapons at the time. Um Maybe just to backtrack a little bit, um, the setting of the story um, is actually in what you might call pre-flood era, where um, I guess in the Bible in Genesis, um, in Genesis 5, it talks about this sort of um, this little sliver um, between Genesis 4 and 6. Um, I think there's this one little sliver of a verse that says, you know, and, and in those days, the, you know, um, the sons of um, uh, the sons of uh, or elders or something that they came down to um, from heaven to earth and um, like the daughters of men and had children with them and they, their children were called the Nephilim, um, and you know they were you know they were called the uh, the heroes of old, and it was in that space in history that this uh, this whole story unfolds. So, just you know, coming back to the context, um, and so in this, it is in this ancient world that um, our main character Ivana um, finds herself um, coming, having been brought up in a certain way, and coming to this outpost, um, sort of by mistake. Um, she got into a a tangle with some gangsters who um, were harassing an old man, um, and that old man happened to also be a blacksmith, um, and who lived in an outpost. Um, and his um, he was battling an illness that was terminal, um, and in the process of, I guess, befriending Ivana, he hands the business over to her and, and the care of his family. And so she stays in this outpost to work and the outpost was hers to observe. She then, I guess, discovers a few things about the outpost, about the people that worked there and about a rumblings of some un settlement or um, uh, I guess unrest um, beyond the outpost and um, in through the kingdom and so she stays there to work and to observe and um, gets into the occasional skirmish um, with the gangs when they try and 
push a little too far. Um, and while she was working, her fame started to spread far and wide. This outpost was not equipped. It was not um, used to seeing women working the traits of men. And so rumours started circling, you know, and, and as as things happen, you know, if you're a woman with skill, lots of suitors coming to her door and she's like trying to get rid of them. So she's busy. Um, busy. Um, and, but then there were these travellers that, um, that came to her door and she nearly like turfed them out um, until she realised it was the crown prince of the country she had walked into um, and one of his high officials. And so, well, just as well she didn't turf them out because that would have been um, a career-limiting move. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> and so it, the, the story then goes that, you know, the crown prince kind of notices her um, and sort of then goes and, Says, well, actually, I've got a you know commission for my father's birthday coming up, and the royal bladesmith has just resigned because he's old, um, you know, he's you know retired and, and no longer wanting to work. So we're kind of looking for someone who's work, you know, who, who kind of knows weapons and can do stuff. Um, and so, well, why don't you come around and work, like, at the palace? Um, which is like, what? So, you know, the, for Ivana, that was a bit of a, okay, that's a promotion. Um, so she went um, and served in the palace from there. From the palace, she then befriends um, not the other artisans in the, in the palace complex who work for the king. Um, she found them very arty, very lofty, very elite Um but she kind of got along with the, the knights and the soldiers and the, the people who are sort of the, you know, um, they, they like to, to you know, uh, try her skill and fight her and, you know, and, and, and um, she then helps sort of organise all of their weaponry and organise all of their, um, some, of their some of their things. So, um, so, so she actually falls into being friends with uh, the knights, the soldiers, uh, the guards uh, of the palace. And so she gets, starts getting to know some of the inner workings. Um, the king returns, the commission's finished, um, and technically with the finishing of the commission, she's also good to go. Um, she was there for that contract. She was there for um, the... Um, that just that particular assignment and, you know, bonus that she got to do all the other stuff, but um, she didn't really need to be there um, uh, from that point on. Um, and so while she was waiting on sort of what to do, another turn of events happened. Um, and so as she gets drawn into um, the turns of events that go on from there, it leads her back into the mountains. Um, and back to the people that raised her. Um, and there she finds the strength to take up her true identity. 
and we're going to stop uh, there yeah. and not tell them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So that, that's, that's as far as I'm going to take you. Um, and <laughs> um, but that's 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 how it sort of developed. That's the perfect place to stop. Now I'm curious, <laughs> what's your writing process like? I read that you said the stories write themselves. What does yes. that mean exactly? How does your writing process work for you? My writing process is, um, it, it, they work in a couple of ways. One is that a very, very strong scene will come into my head and play in my head until I lose sleep and um, basically have to get it down on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be one of those scenes that just play and play and play and I'll, you know, over several nights, several weeks, my in my imagination I'll add to that scene, I'll add this out, that and the other, and at some point it must be burst onto paper or I'm going to explode. Um, and so huge swathes of story actually come out of these little waves that build and build and build. Um, and then the rest is just, okay, I need to knuckle down and actually work out. I need to go from here to here, need to go from here to here and here to here so that I can finish this by a certain date, say, for example. So it's a combination of jumping in when the inspiration comes and working myself to a deadline. You've just described the way many, many, many fiction writers write. They see they see the scenes. It, it's like almost a movie starts in your head and it will yeah. stay there and it will enlarge itself. And the, the people in the scene in your head will be as real almost as the people around you. Uh, exactly. It, that's one of the things I love about fiction writers. Uh, your brain is so creative, and it it comes up with so many wonderful things. And you have, like Tolkien, created a world. And when you create that world, you have to people that world with characters. And you've done a really, really good job. This is a a very, very engaging book. You pull the reader right into the book. You have a really wonderful way with description and a wonderful way with words. So this is really, really a very interesting book. Did you have an Thank audience you. in mind for the book? I suppose I had, well, I primarily I write for myself um, because it is a work. Um, I guess you can probably tell from the amount of time I spend in it and things. It's a labor of love. It's really um, something that. I want to pick up and read. Um, so I guess at the time I was writing it, I was probably in my 20s, 30s. Um, and uh, that is, I guess the audience is young adults to adults. Okay. Let's tell our listeners where they can find the book because I know they're saying, okay, okay, quit talking. Tell me where I can get this book. It's on Amazon. And let me it tell you. It is on Amazon. Yeah, it is on Amazon. And it's yeah. very easy. All you have to do is go to the Amazon website, and there's a big, sort of a long, rectangular, gray looking box. And all you have to do is type the title of the book and the author. And let me give you those two pieces of information. The title of the book is Blue 
Scorpion. Last Flight of the Ancients by Karen, K-A-R-E-N-S, period, Lee, L-E-E. Click on that. The book will come up, and you'll see that wonderful cover that she designed and her friend C executed for her. And in the upper right-hand corner, if you don't know that this is there, you might not see it. But in the upper right-hand corner, there are two words. It says, look inside. If you'll click on those two words, the book electronically opens. And you'll be able to read the wonderful poem that she and I were talking about. And you'll be able to read the beginning of the book. And it will just pull you right in. Now, Karen, I know that some of our listeners prefer not to buy from Amazon, and I know that you are doing some mm-hmm. special things for your Australian readers. So is there another source that someone else could buy from? And tell me about this Australian special. Yes, certainly. Um, I believe you can st- you can also find the book on the Ex Libris website. Uh, so Ex Libris is the publisher, um, and they are spelt X-L-I-B-R-I-S. If I'm in Australia, if I'm in Australia, you're going to let me do something special. Yep. So if you're in Australia, um, I do have access copies um, of the book that um, I would like to forward to a good cause. Um, So if you're in Australia, do get in touch with me um, through my Facebook page. Um, and so it's facebook.com um, slash Blue Scorpion, Last Flight of the Ancients, all one word. Um, and there you should be able to find me or DM me from there. Um, and um, in, I guess, for a donation um, to a charity, I can send you out a copy of the book. I just think that's a wonderful idea. Will you sign it? Will it be autographed? Sure. No worries. I love it. Now, our time is running out. I am enjoying talking to you so much. I know we could talk for an hour, but we're running out of time. (laughs) Yes. Yes. When our listeners become readers and they pick up a copy of Blue Scorpion and they fall into this wonderful world that you've created, and they go through all these adventures with Ivana, and they see what happens, how she comes out, how everything changes in the end. Do you want them to just, when they finish the book, feel that they have been able to escape into a wonderful world, they've they've read a wonderful story, and that's enough? Or is there some thing else that you want them to take away from the book? That is a really great question. We, I think that us humans are innately impacted by story. So by all means, I think if you uh, uh, have found yourself to have enjoyed the world, um, to have been through this journey with Ivana, um that is wonderful and what you take away from it um will be yours to keep um what i i guess my purpose um for writing this book is to express 
Um, a lot about, I guess, friendship, kindness, and to an extent, the fact that we don't control our destiny. We don't, you know, we can, we might have a mission, we might have a calling, um, we might have a very strong conviction, um, and that certainly themes throughout the book. Um, but then life does take twists and turns, and um, I guess. Ivana in the story um, did take some of those twists and turns um, and she just followed um, where that led, I guess, um, you know, to, to take the adventure that comes, as C.S. Lewis says, um, you know, that it is, it is about that and um, you never know where you'll end up, you will end up, but you will end up where you need to be. I love that. This has been so much fun. I have enjoyed talking to you so much. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you for the opportunity. My absolute pleasure. And remember, you can find Karen's book, Blue Scorpion, Last Flight of the Ancients by Karen, K-A-R-E-N-S, period, Lee, L-E-E, on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, as well as Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I hope that you'll join me for our next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.